Have you ever thought that being an entrepreneur would be easier than this? For years, I've tried to break free from Rogue Warrior consultant life, only to return time and again in order to survive. What I soon realized is my own isolation and self-doubt was getting in my way, and that my biggest successes, my happiest moments, came through connections with people who cared about me. It's now my mission to make it easier for entrepreneurs like us to connect with incredible human beings who rise up higher together. We are not self-made, we are community-made. But the real question is, how will we do it? This podcast will give you the answers. Join me on this journey as I interview top experts and entrepreneurs who are figuring it out. I'm your host, Jerry Kirk, and you are listening to the Community Forged Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Community Forge podcast. You're with me, the host, Jerry Kirk, and today I have another amazing guest for you on the show. Vicki Helm is the CEO of Smart Group Firm. She and her partners share the secrets to growing a successful business and creating more wealth. Vicki is a sought-after consultant for people who want to grow more assets and ultimately take command of their financial freedom. One thing that I'm particularly intrigued by is she's also kind of carved out a niche from my perspective in empowering people in their business relationships. She's also an international speaker and has over 20 years of experience across multiple businesses and an acclaimed best-selling author. So please give me a warm, help me give a warm welcome to Vicki Helm. Vicki, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me here. Jerry, I'm telling you, I'm really excited about this. I think uh, community and relationship is the thrivability of the future, and I'm I'm excited to be here today. Well, I'm I'm really curious to really un- kind of unpack that um, that whole topic with you because I mean you've got a lot of really fascinating experiences and insights. So <laughs> you know maybe we could just start the journey by by going back a little bit and helping our listeners kind of understand you know some of the path that led to you to where you are today. Well, I know you're speaking about how I was raised and what I learned. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start there. I am both, um, how do I say this, um, school of hard knocks and classically trained in wealth development, which is really something that I do. And the first things that I learned, I learned from my family, obviously, and my parents made their money illegally. And um, uh, just we were talking before the show began, and I just want to share with your listeners what I mean by that. My dad was, he's, he's since passed, but my dad was one of the first people to ever liquidize the THC out of marijuana when it was illegal, when it was a federal offense. And that's how he started to make his money. But he also, he also made cocaine and some other drugs as well. And he would, that was his business. That's how he got wealthy. And so what happened was he obviously couldn't just buy a new house, a new car, a new boat or whatever else, because the IRS would have been like, hey, how did you afford that? How did you get that? How did you get the money to get that? And so it was always under the radar. And here's what I learned. And this is so important. I remember growing up with, there were burlap bags of money in my house. And what happened was my dad, although filthy rich, he either had to launder that money to be able to use it or it just sat there. And I used to think, what's the use of being rich if you can't even spend the money? So he would have to smuggle the money on his person 
by airplane into Europe, into a Swiss bank account before it could be used again. And of course, you can't do any of this now. The internet is, and all of the things has made that impossible to do. However, back in the day, that's what he was able to do. And when he started investing that money, that's when I started learning his kind of, he has on-grid money and off-grid money. And he taught me how to create wealth legally, because that's the only way I make wealth, doing that first. So my background first was learning how to do that illegally and then too legally. And of course, you know, I have a degree in accounting and one from the prestigious Barbara Brennan School of Healing, uh, because I have two of those. And I learned the traditional way of creating wealth as well. Wow. What a, what a fascinating way to grow up. <laughs> Seeing these piles of money, God, not sure what, what, what to do with them. Um, mm-hmm. That's fascinating. So, so from, from, that, from that journey, I mean, you mentioned also in your bio that, I mean, you, you started off as an accidental entrepreneur at age of 10. Um, where, where did things go from there? How, how did you start to kind of explore this whole world of, of business um, on your own? Well, To me, there's an innocence in children. And the first question I asked myself at 10 years old, literally, was, how do I make money? Because at 10 years old, how do I make money? You're not even old enough to babysit, really. And so um, my first business, and I'm going to give my age away here, (laughs) my first (laughs) business, and it was literally a business. It wasn't like a hobby. It was a business. And I did it by accident. And I was standing on the street on a corner just going, how am I going to make money? How am I going to make money? I was an odd 10-year-old. Before I suddenly got the idea of how I was going to do it, and before I even thought about anything, I grew up in California. I lived in San Francisco. And so the houses were kind of row homes where we were at. And I just walked to the next house and I knocked on the door. And when the guy answered, I was like, hi, I'm Vicky. I'm collecting Coke bottles, blah, blah, blah. So I collected Coke bottles uh, to the point where I had a team of four girls with four shopping carts and we would divide all the money up at the end of the day. We usually go collect bottles three times a week after school and everything else. I I had the whole system set up as to how I was going to create that. But there was an innocence in in when you're a child. We, We complicate things as adults. We don't just ask simple questions and trust ourselves. You know, when you're a kid, you just kind of trust yourself to do something. So I just walked over to the door and knocked on the door and asked for the bottles. And I knew intrinsically that I could figure it out along the way. That is the most important thing you can learn as a person. Life is this continuous journey. And the thing is, we get scared about what we don't know. We don't use a lot of what we do know. And we don't trust ourselves to say, you know what, I can figure this out along the way. It'll unfold along the way. We get stuck thinking that we absolutely have to know everything before we start. And what you have to know is who you are and how you operate before you start. Yeah, that's that's so true. Um, And what also comes to mind to me as well is we, we can get really fixated on what may happen. Right. Mm-hmm. All the all the all the possibilities. I think it was Mark Twain who said, you know, I have, you know, so many fears in my life and ninety percent of them never come true. That's um, correct. There's so so many things that will allow to get in our way that, you know, 
will never see the light of day. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely correct. That's, that is one of the key points right there. 90% of what you fear just doesn't even happen. And, and, and as a young, young girl, you're not even, that's not even coming to mind. I, I'm just envisioning like uh, a neighborhood that's just drinking a lot of Coke. <laughs> Back then they did. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, so moving forward, um, one, so one of the things that I'm, I'm really curious about is, is the whole side of like growing a business, you know? So most of us, if not all of us kind of start out as a, as a solopreneur, you know, we're on our own, we're trying to make something happen. And, you know, you've, you've mentioned before, even before that we started the, um, the podcast about how you can't really build anything great on your own. So I'm curious about mm-hmm. your, your, own, your own journey around that and, and how, how, what recommendations or suggestions you have, how you've helped other entrepreneurs to kind of grow into something that, that is bigger with, with significance. That's, thank you for that. I want to go over three really important points. And let's use, let's just use the 10-year-old business design because this is where we learn that from. Um, the first thing that happened when I knocked on the door is um, in the neighborhood where we lived uh, in San Francisco, it's very uphill or downhill. That's just really how the streets are. And so people didn't mind in my area walking their soda home because it was downhill. But the soda bottles were like four, five, six blocks up to the Safeway where, um, where the place to cash it in was. So when I knocked on the door, the guy was happy to hand me the Coke bottles. He saw my service. And his was, I don't want to carry the Coke bottles back. They're taking up my basement and I'm just putting them there because I'm never going to walk them back. So the first thing that happened to me was I realized that I didn't have enough room in my hands to knock on the third door because my hands were too full of bottles and I realized I couldn't carry them all. (laughs) So you have to negotiate at that point. And what I did was I walked up to the Safeway and I negotiated them letting a 10-year-old take one of their carts and carry it around the neighborhood and promise to bring it back. So in that, I was very fortunate, but there's some things where you have to, one, learn to do relationship because you're asking for help. And believe it or not, in my 10-year-old mind, I believed people wanted to help me. And because of that, that negotiation for the cart came very quickly. It was like, here, go get the bottles, bring them back. So when I got down and I started filling the bottles up, filling the cart up with bottles, I packed it. I packed it and overpacked. It was overflowing. And the next thing that happened was I realized I had to push these bottles uphill and the cart was heavy. It was so heavy. And I was just, I was just pushing and grunting to get it up. And along came my sister and she said, what are you doing? How did you get all these bottles? Of course, there was interest. But what she did was scoop me over to the right and she grabbed the left and helped me push the, the cart up to the place where I could exchange them at the store. And it was a Safeway store. So there are points where you're going to need people to help push you forward. So you're going to help, you're going to ask for help getting stuff done, having help push you forward. And then when we got the idea, after all of this money came in for me, I could have just pocketed it and said, thank you for pushing it forward. 
But the truth is, if your business is going to have a, a, a thriving business, it means that the rising tide has to lift all boats, not just your boat, not just your customer boats, all boats fairly, equitably. And what I did was I split the money in half, even though I had collected all the money up there. I knew that her efforts to help me were just genuine. And she helped me push it up there. Not only that, she helped me negotiate getting two carts the next time. And so later I had four carts the next time and two other girls outside of me and my sister collecting bottles and splitting the money. And the thing is, after everything was full to the top and we knew we could bring this together, you start realizing that a community builds prosperity, not a person. And without the community and the rising tide that lifts all boats, going forward, people aren't going to work with you if you don't understand that prosperity is a flow between things, peoples, and processes. And for me, that if I give anybody the message of that, those three things, the rising tide that lifts all boats, you're going to be help and ask for help. So the whole flow is that you are helpful and you request help. And that you're in your negotiations, everybody wins. Make sense? That's that's pretty amazing as a as a ten year old to to have all of those that maturity really. That I was know. just lucky. <laughs> well, I would say you also. I, I, I take you to be someone who's very um, well, as you said, someone who knows how you can figure out things, but but also mm-hmm. just really really observant and and clearly. You, had mm-hmm. a heart, you clearly had a heart for people too that really yeah. stood out, you know, in, in those relationships. So what, what do you, hmm. so for those out there, I mean, there's many people who are, who are solopreneurs today, right. And, you know, trying, mm-hmm. trying to get, to get to that, that sure. next level. Mm-hmm. So from what, what I'm hearing in, in what you shared in your, your story there is, um, if they really want to create something bigger, it starts first with, with service, with, with servanthood, with, with helping other people in, in their situations. Mm-hmm. Is, is that a way to start kind of building relationships and creating possibility? Well, you can always create possibilities because they're everywhere. They're like the air. There's so many possibilities everywhere. But I want to fine tune what you're saying a little bit and see if I'm understanding you clearly. For me... When you're building prosperity or looking for opportunity and you are a solopreneur, when you're a solopreneur, you have to understand the limitations of that. The limitations of that are that there are only so many people you can help one-on-one per day. And I've, I've been on this. I remember the you know coaching. And even if I coached nine people a day, that's a long day. It's a long day. And so even though I coach nine people, at the end of the week, I could really only help 45 people and that's it. And so I realized the model I was using wasn't working to get to the masses. So the way I walked myself out of that was I said, how can I speak to the masses? Well, you can become a speaker. And you can get up on a stage and speak to a mass audience. You can do what you're doing right now, which is recording for a podcast, because it speaks to the masses. Eventually, the masses will find this particular broadcast and continue on. 
I went with publishing and I wrote a book because I knew that I could speak to the masses in that way. And of course, now I do um, the Coffee Break show every single morning, Monday to Friday. I have 24 books out because that's the more books I have out, the more conversations I can have with people. And so if you're a solopreneur right now and you have to see your nine people a day for your well-being and to make your payments and bills and everything else, know that you need to make a plan right now as to how you're going to communicate to the masses. Inside communicating with that masses, you will be on shows like this and podcasts and people will seek you out when you're speaking and suddenly opportunities will fly everywhere. And you have to have discernment. And I mean this deeply. Have discernment about what opportunity you're picking. Don't just try to, oh my God, what's going to give me a hand up? You want the rising tide that lifts all boats. If it only lifts your boats or your partner's boat, you are going to fail over time. You have to continue to find something that raises the tide of everyone. Thriveability creates prosperity. Write that down. Thriveability creates prosperity. And you want long-term prosperity, not short-term prosperity. I'd love to dive into that a little bit more than with you, Vicki. Sure. This, this whole um, notion of what you're calling thriveability. So, I mean, so you're, you work with you know, a lot of different um, businesses and, and, and whatnot. So how, how does a, a business go? Let's, let's, say, let's say a business is, is perhaps... You know, not where it could be in terms of rising the tides to sure. to float all boats. Um, mm-hmm. How how does one start to make some of that that shift? And um, and I'd be curious too <laughs> if you've got some you know some examples, some stories of you know what sure. difference it's made. Sure. Um, well, that's a big question, and I'm trying to figure out how to give you a nutshell answer. And uh, please forgive me if I run a little bit longer than normal because that that is a big answer. So I want to tell you this. Most everyone knows how to plant a garden. And so what happens when we plant a garden is that we make a garden, we tend to it, it gives us something, and then we plant a garden, then we plant a garden, then we plant a garden. I plant an orchard. If I plant an orchard, I plant the apple tree and I tend to it, but the, I don't have to grow the apples every year or the peaches or the plums. Do you get me? Thriveability is when things can grow by themselves without you having to blood, sweat, and tears with them. So when you create a business, when people create businesses, they have a tendency to create a garden. And they tend to the garden and they have to replant the garden and they tend to the garden and they replant it. And what ends up happening is they wear themselves out planting a garden. They don't plant an orchard that's going to provide them fruit for 100 years. And actually, the orchard is the thing that, that uh, leaves a legacy. So I'm going to give you an example of that in, in human terms. Um, there are ways to start businesses where people are solopreneur, where they do project by project by project. Then there are people that um, buy real estate and they buy an apartment building. And the apartment buildings pay them forever and ever and ever. Sure, they have the upkeep of the apartment building but they're really not working to get the rents. The rents are part of the process of it. So the apartment building is an orchard and the solopreneur is the garden. Am I making sense? 
Yeah, that so, does make a lot of sense. So when we're looking at building assets, there's only two ways you can get wealthy. And that's it. There's only two ways to get assets. You either build an asset or buy an asset. That's it. You build it or buy it. There's only people are like, oh my God, ways to make money. I got more ways to make money. There are only three ways that people make money. That's it. Your money, you either make it and you work for it. Your assets make it work for you or your money works for you. That's it. There are only three ways to make money. Let's not complicate it anymore by looking for more ways to make money. It's how you're tending to your money garden that is making you look for ways to make more money. What you're really saying is ways to grow more garden. And so what happens is what we have to do is then take a look at your business and ask yourself, what assets are you building with your company? So a company becomes an asset when it's willable, sellable, or transferable. That's when your business becomes an asset. If you're a solopreneur and everything is dependent on you, it is no longer willable, sellable, or transferable. And that's what makes it really hard to create wealth. So what happens when we create a business is what's your intention? Is your intention to become wealthy and create cash flow? Or is your intention to make money? If your relationship with it is to make money, then you're hustling and grinding. If your relationship is to create thrivability, then you're creating the orchard. And that, that split in mentality, that understanding of how creating assets and money. I mean, if you take a look at it right now, Michael Jackson has been dead for a decade and made $2.1 billion in that decade. And he's gone yeah. because he built an orchard and his orchard keeps producing. So if you have a record deal and you die and you don't build the orchard, people have a couple of royalties from your record for only a certain amount of time and then it dies off. So the question is, what type of wealth or assets are you building? Are you building a business because you want to make more money or are you building a business because you want to create wealth? That's, that's really powerful, Vicky. So I, what I'm really getting from that is, is keeping that long-term view in mind, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. not, as, you're, as you're working on you know, creating that, that runway at the start. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too, because right now wealth creation is the least expensive it's ever been. It's easier to create wealth than it is to make money. Hmm. Can you give some examples of that? Sure. People have been working at jobs for the last 60 years and they have not gotten a real raise for 60 years. And what's happened over time is that the value of a job has gone down as inflation has gone up like 3,000%. So having a job, having a job is losing money year over year over year over year for 60 years. And the value of that isn't like it used to be. There's no pensions, there's no benefits. They've been clipping it forever. Mm -hmm. So if you own wealth or assets, like real estate, real estate over the 60 years, I've noticed that it has grown year over year over year over year where, where, where job hasn't. And that's fundamental, just fundamental living math. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really um, powerful again. Um, I'm just thinking again about yeah, where most, most people are at. It's, it's, it's a real mindset shift, but as you said, a real opportunity. So. Mm-hmm. So Vicki, as um, 
as people are looking to, you know, create those, the, those assets. And I want to kind of slip back mm-hmm. to what we were talking about earlier around, um, around, around partnerships. You know, you, you've had a number of, like you mentioned, yes. you, had, you have quite a few businesses in your, mm-hmm. your career and, and have worked with a lot of different people and establishing those partnerships and so on. Yes. I, I'd be curious to, to know, cause I've, I've had partnerships myself in the past. And, and when I bring up the notion of partnerships with a lot of people, it tends to be more um, negative than positive, or people tend to be rather uh, yes. risk, risk averse, you know, mm-hmm. to, you know, say like noting some control or mm-hmm. wonder if it's going to work or not. Um, how, how have you um, managed to, you know, create relationships in, in your businesses and in businesses that you work with that, sure. um, that are thriving? Thank you. This is a, I want to have an open conversation and as be as honest as I can, because the difference between a team that actually thrives and a team that does not is intention. So intention is something that you can lie to a person about. You can lie to you and say, oh my gosh, I'm really interested in what you're doing and really not be just really using them. And your intention can be, oh my gosh, I'm really passionate about this and I love doing it. I would do it no matter what. The key is that you can never lie about your intention to the universal forces. You can lie to people, but you can't lie to the basic fundamental universal laws and rules. Everybody in the you know, divine world knows what your intention is. Only maybe the person you're lying to doesn't. And so the question that happens that I look for is I don't look for a good idea. If you have a good team and you put a marginal idea in front of a good team, they will make it a great. They will make it great. And so what happens is what's your intention to work as a team? So if you take a look at some of the great teams in history, and I'm going to go Paul and Bill Gates and Microsoft and Apple, those were, those were a really, really, really good sources. Everybody can look at them and go, they were a great team. But what about Mr. and Mrs. Jones? Mr. and Mrs. Jones are a couple and they have children and they're married and they have a house and they have and take on more risk than Microsoft ever took on or that Apple ever took on. They risked everything. So let's say right now that you and I want to go into business together and we say, okay, I'll put in $10,000, you put in $10,000. So if the whole thing goes kaput, I lose $10,000 and you lose $10,000. But when a couple does it, their house is on the line, their, their, their cars are on the line, their electricity, their cell phones, their children, their food in their house, everything is on the line. If it goes kaput, they lose everything. So what happens is there's a degree of stress that you and I don't have because we're only risking $10,000 that they have, that they start with. It's such a higher level of stress. So that higher level of stress, especially if you're the breadwinner in the family and, you know, uh, the children are, daddy, we're hungry. You know, what are you going to do? You really feel that stress on a very deep level. And so my managing my mind with you when we have only $10,000 at risk is completely different than the managing of a mind in, in a marriage business situation. 
Because in a marriage business situation, power struggle is detrimental. In a partnership in business, power struggle can be detrimental, but it's a lot easier to, to, to mitigate than it is in a marriage. In a marriage, we have all our personal stuff in it. You know, you always say this or you don't think I'm that. And we have all our defenses and all our triggers and our past traumas and things like that. Yeah, everything's a whole lot personal. That's right. It's, it's much, it's a whole completely different risk. So when you're asking your question, how do I create partnerships? The first thing I'm asking is which partnership am I creating? Am I creating, we have $10,000 in there and voila, that's easy to do. Or am I creating this partnership where my family has the intention of creating more wealth and well-being? We want freedom. We want this. You're making a declarative decision about going to the next level together. Now, that can be fundamentally the worst partnership ever made or the strongest catalyst to long-term wealth and quality of life ever. It depends on what people are willing to do to remove the power struggle that exists in that relationship. And that means you have to be willing to slay your ego, literally walk off the field with your head in your hands so that there are agreements. And what I do when I sit down with a couple is I create a an entire, because a lot of times when businesses start, couples sit together and they're all, I love you, I love you, and we dream and we're going to have this and it's going to be so great and blah, blah, blah. And she ends up working for free over and over. They never give her a paycheck. So even when the company is making lots of money, they're like, well, she's my little wife. She doesn't need a paycheck. She's got the credit card. <laughs> and so what happens is she doesn't have an active role and can be resentful that employees who are not married to the boss are getting more money than she is. And Absolutely. so what I do is I make agreements for them right up front that help empower both partners. And the key to success is how are you empowering both partners and what do they need to feel empowered, to feel ownership in a way that they're proud of? Not, I sure am proud of my husband and this is our business. Or my wife is sure the go-getter and this is our business. You, you have to feel it inside. Like it's, you know how it's your child? You don't think it's more my wife's child than mine. It's my child. And so that's the way your business has to be with both people. Inside a relationship where two people come together and they put $10,000 in, I have agreements right away. Um, contracts and agreements that empower both of us. And remember in there, that empowerment means that you have to be and feel equally proud together. So um, uh, for me, one of the relationships I really like right now that I'm watching flourish is Todd and Russell Brunson with ClickFunnels. ClickFunnels is on fire, but it's a culture based on two really brilliant people who have come together to solve a problem in the world. And they don't step in each other's lanes. So Russell doesn't pretend that he knows how to do technology better than Todd this. And so that, that's another thing that makes a relationship really great is not stepping on each other's. If you put your aces in your places, we can't suddenly police our partner. If we're policing our partner, we're lowering our productivity and harming the relationship. You want to have an overview like monthly or quarterly 
but not a daily or weekly, I'm going to police you and see what's going on and are we hitting these numbers. And the next thing is you have to work with somebody in a thrivable way, not a manipulative, usable way, which is, well, I don't know how to make this. Gosh, I don't know what to do with this. I, I, I've never seen this before. Well, I suppose then you know how to do this skill set. So you're now my partner. You have no interest in the partner at all. You only have interest in that skill set. So you have to move away and create a relationship. You have to be friends with your partner. If you wouldn't go out to dinner and have them just be a friend in your life, then I wouldn't make them a business partner. Wow, that's that's really great advice, uh, Vicky. And yeah, really a lot to, to you packed a lot in there. And I know there's there's so much more to even mm-hmm. you know explore around relationships. But you know what what I really heard from that, and just to summarize for for listeners out there, um, is that the key around empowerment, around intention, right? Everyone yeah. to to feel empowered in the relationship, to mm-hmm. to feel alive, right? That it has purpose and meaning for them, and and that they can kind of bring their best to the situation and have some autonomy to a certain degree around what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's really a, a great place to, to wrap up with uh, today, Vicki. And is there anything, anything more that you'd like to, to share as we, as we wrap up? No, I just want to thank you for allowing me to share my message with you today. It's been really an honor to be part of your, you know, liftoff. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Vicky. I mean, you, you bring so much to the world in what you're doing to help um, help create thrivability at so many levels, whether it's in relationships or businesses or, or in, in your communities. Um, you're, you're, you're doing a lot of amazing work and I'm delighted to have you on the show. So thank you, Vicki. Uh, where, where could people find out uh, more about what you're, what you're doing and perhaps how they could you know, tap more into shifting their focus from creating the garden and creating the orchard in, in their life? You can go to VickiHelm.com. Wonderful. Yeah, Thanks it's again, spelled V-I-C-K-I-E-I-E Helm, H-E-L-M. Great. And we'll, we'll have that in, in the show notes for, for anyone who wants to check that out. So thanks again, Vicky, for being on the show today. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your app so you never miss a future episode. And when you leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen, you help more people discover and then transform their lives through the powerful life-changing stories on this podcast. I invite you also to share something that you heard in this episode that you would love to turn into a conversation. Share it with people and have that conversation. Because when ideas become conversations that build connections, that's when momentum happens. I'll see you in the next episode.